The COVID pandemic, which began to take shape in 2020, changed our habits forever. One of the byproducts of the pandemic was an increased interest in business ownership, and during that time, record applications were made to Companies House for new limited companies. However, if you're a fan of Marvel movies, you will know the phrase that with great power comes great responsibilities. And for directors, the responsibilities of companies are great indeed. Our next guest is Jonathan Cooper of the Director's Helpline and the Director's Choice, who has created a niche for advising and supporting directors with the everyday struggles. If you want to know how Jonathan can help your business, join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favourite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Hello, Jonathan, and welcome to The Cashflow Show. Hi, Clayson. Thank you very much for having me. You're most welcome. So, as I've said in the introduction, you are in the position of having two companies that are really designed to help directors. What I wanted to do was ask, how would you describe your roles at the Director's Helpline and the Director's Choice? A bit about my background. I've been involved in insolvency for about 15 years. I came out of the lending market in the first crash in 2008. I've taken an active role in, in helping directors with advice and restructuring and, and all sorts of general aspects of running the business. And insolvency, you know, traditionally was basically you go to your accountant and your accountant refers you to an insolvency practitioner. And times have changed over the last sort of 10 years where the sort of relationship between accountants and directors is probably a bit different from what it was, um, you know, with the introduction of cloud software and, and certainly online accountancy packages. People don't have that relationship with their uh, accountants anymore or as not as robust as it was. And with this sort of resurgence of online marketing, there was a massive need for sort of directors to get a very, very direct advice um, for situations around their company. I created the Directors Helpline to do that. So basically people can come to us to free service. We have different arms to the business with consultancy, with funding, and we've created a panel of professional partners by insolvency practitioners and funders and accountants. So people can come to us as almost like a platform of to, to express their, their issues. We can give them some clear guidance and then essentially hold their hands through whatever process that is right for them. You know, what, what we did find very quickly is, is directors running a business and a company are, are two very separate things. Uh, a business is the, the trade, what the, the assets, the, the staff, the director himself. But actually running a company is quite a difficult thing to do if you don't have the right team around you. And you can quite easily trip up and fall into some choppy waters. You know, certain decisions are wrong or certain events happen. And, you know, a lot of times we speak to directors and, and the business is clearly viable, but the actual company isn't. And um, that's maybe a down to you didn't have the right accountant at the time or the right funder. So what we're trying to do is change almost the the mindset of running a company shouldn't be something you do on your own it should be something where you have support and the director's helpline is a very much of a face-to-face -face. on the phone we speak to the director ascertain their needs the directorschoice.com is pretty much the same thing but it's a platform and it's a platform where directors can go and choose what service they need dependent on their needs we're all familiar with comparison sites you know as consumers we're very very spoilt with technology essentially we can take pretty much any product and within 10 minutes we can compare and choose and know what's right for me what's expensive what's cheap but as a company director there's very very little uh, sort of support out there to, to help them run that company. I, I need a decent solicitor. Well, what size type of solicitor? And to help them engage with, with what they're looking for. 
Yeah, out of out of uh, COVID, you know, which has hit everybody, it, it's decimated viable companies overnight. You know, these people, you know, some industries like events and hospitality that have been trading for years profitably, no one envisaged it, no one saw it coming, but has come in and essentially changed the whole landscape. The problem from director's point of view is, you know, there was limited support packages. They were very welcomed at the time, but a lot of the support packages were borrowings. So they're loans, it's debt on a balance sheet. So if you lend a company money that has basically been forced to close for 18 months and then you sort of request it to pay it back, that has to be serviced out of the profitability going forward. And that puts an immense strain on the cash flow. That, that's where we're seeing obviously an increase of directors that you know, are, are, are extremely worried at the moment. Of course, that's where we are at the moment. I want to take you back because... On the cash flow show, everybody who listens regularly, we call those people the cash flow crew, yeah. they would have heard the mention of the words 2008 and sort of be hiding behind their um, uh, coffee cups or, or their sofas yeah. right now. I mean, is that how you got into insolvency? How did your insolvency type career start? Okay, I was doing bridging lending and obviously uh, commercially. So I had a, a network of accountants and uh and, and businesses, you know, that, that we helped and, you know, obviously for, for, for commercial purposes. And in 2008, when effectively the, the, the bubble burst in, in property, commercial lending was pretty much one of the first to go. Now, I sort of stepped out of that and I still had that network of accountants and, you know, people that we uh, networked with in terms of businesses. And suddenly they were asking for or debt advice. It sort of evolved. It wasn't a conscious decision. I was I was almost like transitioned into it because of the event at the time. But what became very clear was I had a network of professional bodies like insolvency practitioners and, and funders and law firms. And it needed someone like myself to almost be that middleman to speak to the directors or speak to the accountants' clients give them a bit of reassurance and then introduce them to the most appropriate outlet. And that then evolved. I then was employed by an insolvency firm, essentially going out and seeing clients and giving them some sort of structured advice. That evolved into me running the insolvency firm. So I employed insolvency practitioners and I did that for a good uh, seven, eight years. So I know the insolvency world well. We sort of pioneered the online market because, you know, 15 years ago, the only way a company director could find an insolvency practitioner was essentially through their accountants. Um, nowadays, obviously, online is is you know the, the place to go for most things. That's how us as individuals want to go and research. Certainly, something that we're not familiar about or something we're not sure about. We were one of the first companies to really generate an online presence, and directors would come to me directly, and then obviously we'd go through whatever procedure needed. And then, you know, five, six years ago, I exited that and sort of wanted to go back to more consultancy. You know, I've always sort of been on my own, so to speak, and, and worked like that. And there was a real market for obviously to have a, a brand of like the director's helpline just to really put my flag in the, in the ground of where we stand. You know, we're not insolvency practitioners. We don't claim to be. And for that very reason, insolvency is unlike any other industry. A director would engage an insolvency practitioner who then in turn, their duties is to investigate that director. So it's a very sort of, a director's got two hats. They've got the hat of, I've run the company and I've got the hat of, well, what about me personally? So as the director's helpline, it, it's a, you know, a real service that we understand the director's implications before they even push the button, because sometimes you can solve one problem but create another. And and that's what we're seeing more and more of. So, yeah, that, that's how I evolved essentially into where I am now. What I find fascinating is this, is that when people sign up to be a director at Companies House, yep. many of us do not know the depths of responsibility that we face as a director. A hundred percent. Or how we can get lumbered with loads of stuff that we didn't expect. And I think this goes back to me to, to those sort of Victorian days when being a company director was a big, big thing. You, only certain people were company directors. I liken it to the property ownership. 
So we've seen property ownership post Margaret Thatcher 1979 and most people who didn't own homes at that time being encouraged to purchase property till it just went completely yeah. over the top and everybody started purchasing two or three properties and then became landlords. And I've seen people who said to me, oh, Clayton, I've got three properties and blah, blah, blah. And this is the cost of it. And I want it done cheaply. And I say, hmm, your big problem is society didn't design you to be a landlord. Correct. You didn't come from a moneyed family. That's why you don't have the support network. And the same way for many directors. The director's helpline, from what I can see, provides that support network to questions that really don't get answered at company's house. It is. At the end of the day, 99% of all directors don't set out to fail. You know, you, you have a business idea, you set up a company, you get an accountant and you're away. And when things are going well, when money's coming through the door, there isn't any problems. It's when things happen. And one of the things that, that sort of staggers me is we're a very entrepreneurial country, uh, the UK, which, which we love. We encourage people to set up businesses, try things, you know, ideas. But there's actually no exam to be a director. You know, at 18 years old, you can set up a company, you can, in, you can register for VAT and you can, you know, go on your merry way with no sort of sort of qualifications as such or understanding on on corporation tax dividends uh, intercompany loans uh, vat tax returns anything so you're thrust into this world so you're running your business and there's the default position right i need an accountant and you get an accountant and you think of it right well who's the cheapest accountant and this is where the sort of level of education needs to needs to sort of be stepped back and you know it goes even back to, to schools you know I'm, I'm staggered that you know, in certain sort of curriculums that they don't have budgeting and, and forecasting and, and how to manage money. Um, and, you know, what I find is 99% of all directors we that go through a process um, who have found themselves in a situation, a lot of times it could have been avoided if six, 12 months ago they'd had better advice or a better accountant or, or a better funder. Um, you know, it, it's uh, insolvency doesn't happen overnight. Obviously, with events like COVID, it accelerates the uh, the process. But certainly, you know, before then, um, insolvency is a lead up. It's, it's something that happens in the company that then causes an event that then has a reaction. And it's how the director deals with that would sometimes dictate, certainly in the smaller businesses, the owner-managed businesses, it dictates what the result is. Um, I'll give you an analogy. Um, you know, uh, one of my good friends is a, is runs a hairdressers, very successful hairdressers, but she openly admits, you know, she knows how to cut hair. She knows everything about the hair industry, but running a company is 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 almost something she's had to learn. Yeah. And you you hear this sort of phrase of, you know, you, you don't succeed until you fail. Well, it's so true because you know everything's fine, and then right, what happens if she has a big leak in the in the building? Well, she has to deal with the landlord. She has never dealt with the landlord. She then has to close for three weeks, and then her income stops overnight. She then has to defer her VAT, and so automatically things are happening that could have huge ramifications if they don't take advice. And the problem is, is when something happens in a business, the director doesn't then think, oh, I need to go insolvent or I need to shut down. Your natural instinct is to survive. And it's that level of survival of, right, I'll borrow, I won't pay myself, um, I'll do this, I'll do that. And that is, is, is where they're very vulnerable because I've seen in this industry, unfortunately, you know, we end up counselling a lot of people. We, in the director's helpline, we set up a mental health programme, which, which I fund. At the end of the day, I can, I can do anything with a company. I can help them all day long. But some of the people, the, the stress that they put them on themselves, you know, where they lose their house, uh, that marriages break down and stuff. The mental health side is so important because it is only death. There is resolutions. There is a solution. But it's taking, it's having that confidence to take advice at the stage. Where I've learned over the last three or four years and where the director's choice has come in and director's helpline is ch after COVID, change the norm, okay? You need to understand what is good in an accountant. What's the importance of a good accountant? Because the whole psychological aspect is a hairdresser, so the hairdresser I helped, has had a very, very different sort of path to work than an accountant has. An accountant's had to go to university, get a degree, you know, work at a top four. And, the, you know, they run their own practice there, whereas the hairdressers had a very different route. And to actually engage those two to get the right fit is actually quite hard. 
one of the things I'm, I'm trying to champion at the moment is educating people why a good accountant, you know, why what, what an accountant should be doing for you or what do you need out of an accountant. It's like getting the right match for the right accountant. And if you get that right, insolvencies will actually sort of be few and far between in, in years to come. Or when there's a problem, you can approach your accountant. Funding's another one. The, the amount of people that don't know what type of funding is out there. You know, we've all heard of overdrafts. But the problem with an overdraft is the bank will probably want a personal guarantee against it. Indeed. Um, so automatically, you're putting yourself at risk of having a limited company. One of the first things that directors say, oh, I haven't paid myself. Almost like it's some sort of, you know, medal. And it's like, why? You know, you're taking all the stress, you're taking all the all the sort of risk. You should be the first person, if your business cannot sustain or pay you a wage every month, you need to think realistically, what are you going to do? Or what is the plan? So the whole things we're trying to do is not obviously only deal with people at the moment who need help, but realistically is is change the mindset and the director's choice is a platform certainly that can expand that people can join a community you know they can understand it's like a a platform all about them and it's all for them it's totally free we have links to every professional there is and they can choose what they feel is right for them it takes me back to the whole days of consumers like martin lewis you know that the whole thing of when i looked at what he's done he was almost like the man of the people he he told us what the banks wouldn't he told us what the best rate he simplified it for us but as a company director there is nothing out there for them to 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 get this information to help them make decisions there's a real lack of or, or a gulf of engagement between professional services certainly insolvency practitioners accountants funders and solicitors with company directors because it's a world that they don't know they don't understand why would they understand indeed and that's what that platform is is to is to keep the right people on our panel but ultimately give a director experience that you know when they need an accountant or when they need a solicitor they get the choice and everything out there at the moment from what i could see is a matter of well you put your details in i'll get a load of accountants to ring you or a load of fun i don't want that i want to put in that i am a builder i need an accountant who specializes in construction with five partners within 10 miles of me because that's me right bang who are they well there's three or four and they've all been reviewed they've all been verified and that's what i feel is we're at the very start of a journey whereas in 10 years time i want to be at the norm like comparison sites are for consumers i wouldn't go anywhere for my energy or my car insurance without probably going to a comparison site why would you do you think that to a certain extent some people especially in business we're given very false images in business we're taught to worship these gods or the elon musks yeah or or the or the steve Jobses, or the whatever the case may be who often come not from very humble backgrounds yeah. as the people that worship them but we're told you know you've got to take risk you've got to sell your house you've got to sell your cat you've got to sell your dog yeah. you've got you've got granny sell her you know you this is what you can do do you find that people that come to you are people of who have imbibed that message and now find themselves in problems um don't don't forget our our main market is a smaller business you know when a company's turning over 20 30 million pounds there's usually a board of directors there's accountants involved it's a it's a bigger animal the people we help are very emotionally attached to their business quite rightly they're usually one to two three directors that have evolved into sort of essentially running the company and things have gone wrong i don't think it's a matter of i think obviously social media doesn't help with you know, the portrayal of running your own business is, is money, success and stuff like that. You're naive to think if it is like that, because what you don't see is all the failures and the and the sort of the uphill struggles that people have. Ultimately, what I say to people quite categorically is I can't help you run your business because your business is you. It's it's what you do. It's your trade. It's, it's your profit margin. You know, that's that's what you do. But running a company and having the people around you to help that company run effectively, structured around what your ambition as a shareholder is is easy i think because it's just about having the right team and if you get that right a lot of the times the business can flourish and where again what you see a lot of the times is directors spend so much time you know looking around over their back firefighting that that's when the business then suffers because you're not out doing what you should be doing and Again, it's, a, it's that analogy of the business and the company are two very, very separate things. Um, but I get your point in terms of sort of the portrayal of taking risks. And it is, I don't know, it, it's, it's a hard one to sort of answer. I think it's, uh, um, 
there's always like we see on like the Elon Musks and stuff like that. It's it does for me portray an unrealistic view on what the real life small business owner goes through. One of the points that you mentioned was about insolvency. And insolvency is always an interesting thing for me personally, because I have to often deal with businesses that are going insolvent or about to go insolvent yep. in terms of late payments or debt recovery. One of the things I found fascinating is that in preparation for this interview, I looked at a quote regarding insolvency. And there was one from an Ernest Hemingway novel and the novel's called The Sun Also Rises. And in the novel, he's got a character named Mike and he asks, or Mike is asked how he went bankrupt. And he said two ways, gradually, then suddenly, <laughs> which is pretty deep. It's pretty deep. I mean, and in my experience from what I see, that is often what happens to a lot of businesses. They wake up one morning. We often see when businesses collapse and we think to ourselves, yeah. oh my God, how could this have happened? Could somebody not see this? Yeah. But the gradually then suddenly analogy makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When do you find businesses coming to you in terms of their insolvency status? Okay, so you, you've obviously heard the whole phrase of, you know, your head in your hands and sort of avoiding the problem, so to speak. It's like anything, and I can't stress this more, the sooner someone takes advice or, or sort of reaches out, the more options available. People don't go insolvent overnight. There is things that happen. The, the problem being, it's quite a difficult thing to sort of reach out and sort of speak about if you don't know what the problem is or you can't identify it. And the problem with the smaller owner-managed businesses is, as they're sort of running the day-to-day -day sort of activities, like I said, when something happens, let's say someone doesn't pay you on time, they're not going to have the foresight to say, actually, that's going to cause me a massive cash flow issue. I'm not going to be able to do my VAT. And that's then going to cause me, if this these sort of certain events keep going on, I'm then actually going to, have to take insolvency advice. They don't. They try and deal with the problem there at hand. The issue what I'm trying to create at the moment with Director's Helpline and certainly Director's Choice is we're not just a platform for when you want to close your company. It's not just a, a place to say, actually, I want to go into liquidation. That's only usually one small part of the jigsaw of, of the whole offering. We want to be a place that they can relate to and they can sort of fall back on to say, someone's not paying me, what do I do? I'll go to Director's Choice because I've got some guides and advice about what I can do and can't do. And that if they got that sorted there and then would alleviate any further problems in the start because it's, it's dealt with. And the trouble and the hard challenge for us is to get directors and awareness out there that we exist. We exist for the director. We're totally free. It always will be free. And it's just a bolter onto you. Now, people join director's choice just for the community, just to speak to other directors. One of the things I saw on social media, certainly over lockdown, is you know, directors, it's a very lonely place. You can't just switch off. When you run a business, you can't just turn your phone off at five o'clock and go home and enjoy the weekend. It, you live it 24-7. That affects all sorts of different things in your family life. Now, there is rewards of being self-employed and running your own business, but certainly over the last three, year, uh, three or four years, that stress and everything is, is, is built up inside. And people like to sort of speak to other directors and, and get information. And that's why I'm trying to create a community of director's helpline and director's choice. It's a place that you can ring us about anything. It takes five minutes to say, what, what do you need? What's the problem? And we will put you in the right direction going forward. If we get that right as part of our strategy, then going back to that analogy of the Ernest Hemingway, the gradually and the suddenly, as things start happening, if the mindset is, let's reach out and speak to someone, then, you know, the suddenlies won't happen. And that's goes like mental health is another thing. You know, in the last five, six years, the awareness of mental health has been brilliant because it's now acceptable to go out and reach out and talk like it should have been. Of course. And the more we can change people's points of view and running a company, and you know, it's not a pride thing. It's not a, you know, like you say, people don't set out to fail. And some of the things that, that happen in business are unavoidable. COVID was totally unavoidable, but it's what you do about it is is real measure of you. Because if you don't do anything, then obviously there's little that anyone can do if then suddenly happens and you're closed. And that's the only sort of piece of advice I give directors is it's not a pride thing, it's not anything like that. And it's about the smart people and the brave people 
would ring us or take advice when, when I've got a bit of a problem here. And there's no question that's a stupid question. And, and I say this to directors, the first question I ask them, certainly when we talk about accounts, is like, you know, with respect, do you know how to read a set of accounts? No. Do you understand them? No. Why would they? Unless they've been basically gone through it. <laughs> yeah. of, this is what this means. That they're just given a set of accounts every year and told to sign them. And unless they're too almost like afraid to ask questions and challenge them. Of course, because that's that's what you've been led to believe. Correct. Because your 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 accountants told you, listen, I'm your accountant. This is all right. This is yeah. Because accounting has become so computerized and mechanized to a certain extent. Now there's no relationship that says you're spending too much on chocolate biscuits. Maybe this is messing with your bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the, the problems occur of me and the director, and um, which is director's loans. Because people set up a company, they start taking money. And there, which is all great. And obviously it goes into a director's loan that's then reconciled at the end of the year and posted as a dividend. Well, then if something happens in that year, they need to continue to take the money to live. But then if there's not enough profits at the end of the year, you create a director's loan, which is fine because many companies have director's loan, but not if it then goes down to an insolvency route and you have to close. Because as it forms part of an asset, the liquidator or the insolvency practitioner has a duty to chase it in. And then they pursue the directors personally. So again, we're not in the game of getting people out of directors' loans, but I am in the game of going into something with your eyes open, with a transparent and a fair landscape, because too many people are falling into the trap, going insolvent and you know thinking, well, I'll just close my company and get rid of all the debt. But then two months later, being pursued personally for directors' loans, they knew nothing about. And that, again, is quite a frustrating thing, because it goes back to the whole getting the right accountant. You know, well, explain to me what a director's loan is. I pay you, Mr. Accountant. Explain to me what a director's loan is, what corporation tax, what VAT. Help me structure my company exactly. and my finances in my aspirations as a shareholder. What's my plan? What's my year, five-year, ten-year plan as a shareholder? Unless those conversations take place, at the end of every quarter or every month, the accountant should say, right, here's your three numbers. Here's what you've made. Here's what you turned over. And here's your vat bill or something and i'm on plan i don't need to know anything else and that's the relationship between as a company director with the right team around me uh, to help me run my business and, and it's so so important and one of the good things that come out of this is when people do restructure because we have we have ascertained that the business is viable but we actually need to put it into a new co and a new company uh, that's going to pay tax and employ people going forward it's a catalyst for change. Right. Now, going forward, you've learned from your mistakes. Get a decent accountant. This is the best type of funder for you. We need this credit insurance. You know, the list goes on. Directors are sort of, they all flourish because it's like, great, because my business was viable, but my company wasn't for the different reasons we've gone through. And now going forward, they'll be successful. And that's essentially why we do what we do. A lot of what you've said is about people really learning from their mistakes yeah do you think in the uk that we don't really have a culture of saying it didn't work out mate but do you know something you can do this again as opposed to my god you're a failure brits are we beat ourselves up a lot so when i speak to directors they do feel an element of personal i failed of this but where i try and sort of stop them in their tracks is restructure is restructure the business sometimes is viable, but there's reasons, not excuse, but there's reasons why the company's insolvent. Now, they have two choices. You can either carry on and either, you know, get into a worse position where someone will make the decision for you or you restructure it. So the business would continue, but through a new entity. Now, as much as that comes under criticism of, oh, people just got rid of the debt, one thing I'd assure your listeners and, and, you know, directors is that's a very formal process. You know, investigations take place. There's reasons why. But ultimately, that's why you have a limited company. What I say to directors, whereas if you don't do something and you just close or let someone close for you, that then it has failed. As a director, have the foresight to say, actually, I need to take control of the situation to make sure my business is viable and safeguard the security of my employees. You know, again, no one chooses to be in the situation that they're in when they call us, i.e. I'm insolvent or I've got bounce back repayment problems. No one chooses to be there, but they are there. And it's what they do about it going forward that really dictates. And there's certain people, like you say, that come to us. We give them that advice. No, I want to carry on. 
not a problem. It makes no difference to us in a way what they do. Our job is to relay every option out as clear as we can so the director understands them to then make an informed decision of what's best for them. And if we can do that, then it's not up to me to judge what they do. Again, going back to the sort of the question, I think directors, certainly after COVID, now with the cost of living, Brexit that, that no one seems to mention, you know, all these sort of things coupled up. To have a business that continues to sort of survive all that and trace through is fantastic. But ultimately, there's businesses that haven't. And I think directors really sometimes beat themselves up about the situation they're in where very few are in a situation because of their doing and that's our job to really give them a bit of confidence and, and reassurance about going forward the cash flow show one of the things that you mentioned jonathan was about bounce back loans yep. and that's a big topic a massive topic at the moment because currently as as this is being recorded Rishi Sunak, who was then the Chancellor, subsequently resigned, yep. basically was managing that. He, he was the guy behind it and created this scheme, or with his colleagues helped create this scheme. Now, a lot of people are crying foul and saying that the scheme was mismanaged. Yep. Certain people got access to money that they shouldn't have. It was dealt with pretty badly, and now the government's probably going to write a whole lot of that off. Yep. I've got no skin in the game because I didn't take a loan because I was too worried about having to pay it back and these people chasing me. <laughs> yeah. When you work in late payments and unpaid invoices, I've got a very strict rule that says don't get high on your own supply. Yeah. And if you if you get involved in that situation, you know what the consequences are. Yeah. So what is the landscape at the moment for people with bounce back loan? Because I saw an Instagram post that you did mm -hmm. recently. Obviously, some people will be able to see the show notes at the end of this and see what, what your Instagram is and follow you there. And I suggest uh, a lot of you as business owners, especially in those based in the UK, that you do follow Jonathan's Instagram because I think that there's some great nuggets of advice there. So what would you suggest the current landscape is of bounce back loans? Obviously, a very, very contentious issue. There's been a lot of negative press about bounce back loans, but there's a few things I would to remind everybody and take them back is firstly one of the reasons for the level of fraud uh, was probably with how the scheme was introduced you know essentially when covid first hit there was obviously small businesses that were very fragile that obviously if they stopped working or they were forced to shut wouldn't last very long so i think quite rightly the scheme was welcomed on the basis that to stop a wave of insolvencies we need to offer some sort of protection the problem with that protection is it wasn't a grant, it was a loan. As good as that scheme is welcomed and as, as cheap as the interest rate is at 2.5% interest flat rate, the fact of the matter is you're adding a load of debt for a company to continue to survive on a balance sheet, which then has to be repaid. Now, there should be an element of accountability with how the scheme was administered on the basis that it was a self-cert. So you put in your turnover and the sort of level of ease and accessibility this 50 grand or, or up to 50 grand was, was pretty much unlike anything we've ever seen. So if you have a, a scheme that's so easily open to fraud, you're going to get fraud. What I would say is the individuals that have committed that, who then subsequently dissolved the companies or, or essentially just left it, there is consequences because the insolvency service have, have created a huge task force to reinstate these companies and to pursue the directors. And what you'll start seeing coming out of the wash is things that have happened that have taken a year to get through the line of directors being prosecuted for, for misuse. But I think the majority of the business owners, obviously, as the grants weren't there, these owner-managed businesses that structured themselves on salary and dividend created a huge problem because you couldn't furlough yourself because I furlough myself for £500 a month doesn't pay my bill. No. So you, you take this bounce-back loaning in obviously good faith. But don't forget one absolute point. COVID is only supposed to last two, three months. We know we're now 18 months down the line and still seeing the effects of the lockdowns and lockdown two, three, four. So these people took this debt on. And obviously, as things have opened up, where in some industries they haven't opened up, they're obviously trying to service them back. One of the things that we ask a director is the first question is, right, what was your turnover when you took the bounce back loan? And what have you spent it on? Now, Again, you talk, you're going into a very, very sort of certain territory here because if someone set up a company in January 2020 and got a £50,000 bounce back loan and spent it on himself, we wouldn't help him in any way. We'd sort of say, I suggest you either repay it back or speak to the bank 
because all, all that's going to happen is the insolvency service will wind you up. We certainly don't give any advice to those, those people, um, but they are very, very few and far between. What the reality is, is the scheme was a loan. It's a very cheap loan, but it was lent to unsustainable businesses in the first place that couldn't just shut for 18 months and then start paying back £800 a month. It's all their profit whilst maintaining bills going forward. And coupled with the whole HMRC stance where, you know, they've started to become a little bit more sort of uh, aggressive in terms of time to pay schemes and, and retrieving that tax. These businesses clearly were viable and now have companies that are not. And that's why you're seeing the level of people missing, the, you know, I think it's 193,000 are in arrears with the bounce back schemes. And the analogy of you kicking a can down the road, it's a very contentious thing of, uh, when you see on social media, certainly our Facebook platforms, you know, we talk about bounce back schemes and you get people pay it back, pay it back. Well, it, it's not as simple as that. Again, businesses took this money out to survive. There's two ways of looking at it. If it was me and I was, a, let's say, a, a contractor and I was forced to stop and I was on salary and dividends and I was taking, I had to take a bounce back loan, you know, what would I do? Would I stop paying my mortgage and feed my kids or protect the loan payment? Well, I know what I would do. So it's easy for people to criticise and, and to sort of have their, their point of view. But I think there's every, every client and every business is different and different circumstances. But I think the problem is going to get worse. The reality is hindsight's a wonderful thing, but the reality is it probably should have been thought out a bit better and maybe have converted it into a grant, you know, a smaller grant maybe or something like that because, you know, the problem's not going to go away. Indeed. The cash flow show coming to you from the city of London real people, real business, real talk. Now, Jonathan, one of the things that you touched on was mental health. Yeah. And I read somewhere, there's a massive statistics, I'm not going to go into them here, but just a couple. 26% of businesses report that late payments from customers have become more frequent as the cost of living crisis starts to impact. But the one at the bottom, which was intriguing for me, over a quarter, again, 26% of business owners said they have felt anxious or their well-being has suffered as a result of late payments. And a fifth, 21%, yeah. have responded saying that they've had sleepless nights. Is this really the future of where business is going at the moment? I hope not. Mental health is very close to my heart through personal reasons. Unfortunately, I'm in an industry where people are at the lowest certainly running a company, it's probably the hardest thing to go through is a restructure because it's mentally and, and very, very stressful time. I like to think that we, we make a difference. I like to think that we take some burden off. Our trust pilot reviews are our testament to that. We, we are changing people's lives, you know, not to sound extreme, but we are. And one of the things on the mental health side was is way over my head in terms of qualified to, to give that, that mental health advice. But you know, I could engage people who are, who are qualified to do so, offer it out to directors, because in the last five years, it's become a lot more, certainly in male mental health, a lot more uh, normalised. And, you know, it's everywhere. Yes. But again, which is great, and it's fantastic. But I do sometimes feel, and I'm a, I'm a big champion for the, for the small business owner here, I do sometimes feel that it is, obviously, it's directed to everybody. But I feel that sometimes running your own business, you, you there's an element of it's more pressure because sometimes you've got staff to pay who rely on you. You've got, you know, your wife and kids at home. You've got your own personal uh, side. And when it's just you or when it's just a couple of you, there's very few sort of outlets to step away from it, to turn off. They can't just turn the phone off and let's, let's just have a break. Running a business and a company is a 24-7 job. Whether you are small or big or like, you, you, it's always constantly on your mind. If things don't go well and you start having stress with, you know, people not paying you or something. And if they're not paying you, how am I going to pay the payroll? What am I going to do about VAT? Am I going to jail? There's all these sort of things that, this level of anxiety that goes up mm. and a lot of it is hearsay you know the amount of people that ring me and say you know i've not paid the vat you know, am i going to go to prison i'm like what are you talking about am i going to be pursued personally sometimes it's it's like the analogy if you go on google and type in you know i've got a cough it comes back <laughs> that you're going to die you know and people get this sort of they try and sort it out themselves and it's like just take a step back Okay, what we do, we do every day. Okay, I've heard every story, I've heard every analogy, and I've heard every circumstance. It's just normal stuff for us. So, if it's debt, no matter how big it is or whatever it is, there's a solution somehow. 
It's having the plan. And what I say to directors is the worry is coming from the not knowing. Like in anything in life, it's the not knowing what's going to happen. As soon as we speak to you and take that sort of guidance and give you a plan, that is where the worry starts. But sometimes the damage has already been done and people are, are, are in a bad way. And that's where, you know, I think it should be, I think other people should follow suit. I think certainly in, in industries of, of high stressed environments, like insolvency is, I think they should all sign up to some sort of mental health programs for people like lenders that fall into arrears. If you fall into arrears with your lender, I bet it's out there for consumers. I haven't even checked. But if I fall into arrears with my mortgage, I'm sure there's, you know, the way we're treated in terms of empathy and all that is already in place. As company directors, I doubt that is is in place as, as, as well as consumers. Um, and I think it should be. Well, you're absolutely right. But I think the reality of this is this comes back to certain business owners and people who have been very successful who who basically championed this he-man image as being successful in business. Yeah. One of the classic examples of or metamorphosis is, oh God, I forgot his name. I can see his face now. Amazon. I can't remember his name. Jeff Bezos. Exactly. Now, Jeff, he's yeah. a strange chap. He seems to have sort of turned into Lex Luthor from Superman. <laughs> he's, he's yeah, well, he's, he's obviously shaved the rest of his head off and he's gone for the, the clean-shaven look, telesurveillance, whatever you want to call it, not a problem, yeah. common look. However, he's sort of, he's obviously taking, he's built himself up now, looking very, very bulky and sort of taken on this kind of sort of very sort of hyper-masculine thing. And I think when people see that as business owners and directors, especially for male business owners and directors, people then think, oh, these people, they're rolling in money. They don't need any support. Oh, they're, they're on the floor with us now. This is and So there's not much empathy there for directors and business owners because that's that common perception that you run a business, you're making a fortune. Correct. And so why would I feel sorry for that guy? He's, yes. Those people who are in that position also have those mental health difficulties, but it doesn't get highlighted because that's seen as a sign of weakness. Correct. It was one of my friends, I'm sure, and, and I could get this wrong, so don't quote me on it, but who basically has such a high level of anxiety. You know, your normal thing is, well, what have you got to worry about in life? The trouble is, is whatever you run, however you run your business, small, medium, large, it's successful, not successful. I don't think success is determined by money, and I think it's the wrong way of looking at it. But, you know, everyone has their problems. Everyone has issues in the business. I think when you when you employ people you've got a level of responsibility to almost look after them as well so i have had many conversations where you know people say oh you're self-employed or you know almost the element of resentment the small business owner is a community a community you don't know it until you do it and and i didn't you know before i was self-employed and i was employed again you, you don't have to worry about your salary you've got to worry about just doing your job so obviously when you go into that world of having to make a living, mm -hmm. um, in a way your attitude changes. And and that's where I'm, I'm, you know, where people sort of say, well, you're salaried and dividend, you know, you pay less or it's more tax efficient, um, you earn more money. In a way, I'm like, well, too right to do. <laughs> because, I, I, you know, we, we have more risk. We have more risk. We have more, you know, in the sense of actually going out there, we don't have any security. And self-employed people, or any sort of size business, that level of security is never really there because it's you, you're always out finding the next thing and, and obviously trying to grow your business. It's a bit of a social media trap, really, when you when you go through your Instagrams and stuff. And I've only had to sort of learn social media as we've grown, but everything's portrayed in life, no matter what you look at, as great and successful. And I think people are obviously, it's not, as simple as that and it's not really as real as that and that's a, unfortunately the, the world we live Indeed. in um where where i where i sort of struggle sometimes is the mentality of this has come from facebook and stuff as people's opinions whereas in america people want you to be successful they encourage you they they celebrate you whereas in sort of the uk it seems to be the other way around as soon as someone sort of gets successful, you want to bring them down. Sort of funny analogy for me. It's funny, funny way of looking at it. Here at the Cashflow Show, we we've done something called the Transatlantic Sessions, okay. uh, which you'll probably be able to listen to shortly. Which is four interviews with four American entrepreneurs, 
Yeah. And that was very, very, very different. And it was. One thing that's interesting about American entrepreneurs, no matter what stage, whether they're running a big business corporation or they're a CEO or whether they're running a car lot or anything in between, if you ask them to publicize their business, they do it at the drop of a hat. Yeah. It's like they, they're born with a, an elevator pitch, ready to grow, no messing about. And if you're a business and there's a possibility for doing business, they're open to it. Yeah. If there's not, then fair enough. It's not for me, buddy. I'm going to pass on this one. There is a different mentality. Even doing this show, doing the cash flow show, I, I'm honest enough to say that when I ask certain people, it literally is like I'm telling them I'm a dentist and I'm going to pull your teeth out. Yeah. It's really, really, really difficult because dealing with somebody such as yourself it's a slightly different because there is a willingness because you know that you've got a message to spread and that message is vitally important to directors yeah. everywhere but as i said that american mentality is just so different it really is it's it it's like they just seem to get the idea and i'm and i assume to a certain extent that's the home of entrepreneurism but they seem to understand that much more easily. Whereas if you say that you're trying to do something here in the UK, you get the feeling that people are almost trying to slag you off. Every industry, you look at sports people, you look how, you know, as soon as a sports person is at the top of the world, it's like the one thing, but that's the press. And that's the, that's the politicians, you know, obviously, you know, Boris, our prime minister is just absolutely gone, but then he gets a standing ovation in the House of Commons on Wednesday from the people who ousted him. It's like something like, I've just never seen, and and that's again when it, it, it sometimes the odds are against you trying to be successful or, or run a business. But I would, in a way, to challenge people to say, well, success is managed and, and measured in very very different forms. And I think the the default thing is money. That people think, well, you got money. Well, what's enough money? Because it's like when you get a pay rise at work, you know, you live to your means. You know, you're not suddenly rich, are you? And <laughs> and I think the where you've got to sometimes, and everyone's been sort of at fault of this, is sometimes really, well, you've got a healthy family at home, you've got time. Time's one of those things that I think is it measures success because if you've got the ability to have time, it's the most precious commodity or, or precious thing in this world because as we know, certainly COVID has taught us, anything can happen at a click of a finger and the world can change overnight. It certainly changed me as a person because lockdown what taught me to be less selfish mm. because i am selfish you know i go to work and work with my life and you know trying to help other people but you obviously lockdown one we all reflected on life and it's like we spent time with our families and you know, actually things are more important in life and then suddenly the world opens up you're back to sort of normal again it's a big thing to try and hold in in the back of my mind as in right you know try and switch off go back to family or whatever it might be because time i think is the is the most important thing we, we've all got. I do agree with you on that point because I do think that a lot of people are obsessed with the numbers and the numbers are helpful. Mm. The whole point is wherever you go in wherever your afterlife or you're not going to have an afterlife or whatever it is you're going to do, you can't take any of that with you. It's just not going to go. It won't fit inside your coffin. It's not big enough. No. So therefore, it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, the time and the quality of time that you spend with people is more important. And, you know, I always say to something, if, if somebody shows me something, I always say to them, guess what? That's five minutes of my life I won't get back. Yeah. I, I look at things in those terms now. And I think the, the having a business is not necessarily now about how much money can I make? How rich can I become? How content can I become within myself? Correct. And... Again, there's very few self-employed people, okay, that when you say, would you go back to employed? No, they wouldn't. Because what it does give you is it gives you that element of your own destiny. Yes. To a certain degree. As much as sort of a risk that is and a bit sometimes nervous. Well, I always say, you know, <laughs> it was a funny analogy ages, years ago with the, with the lending market. Obviously, if you've, got an, if you've got a job employed, Obviously, any lender will lend to you because, oh, right, you, well, you've got a set wage every month. But self-employed, oh, you're scrutinised. And it's actually, well, if I was lending someone money, I'd rather lend someone to self-employed because they've got to make that every month. So they're Whereas you could get sacked tomorrow as an employee. It's this whole thing that when you when you speak to people, you know, certainly I'm trying to put back in why you were self-employed in the first place. Your business isn't bad. You've been trading 10 years, you know, but things have happened. You might have made a few bad decisions, but that doesn't make you bad. It just it gets it's got you into the situation where you are. And 
again, we keep drumming in that thing. Don't think you've got a bad business or you're a bad director or you're a bad business owner because of the situation you're in. There's reasons. There's very few people who have manipulated a situation you know, for their own benefit and have gone into an insolvency procedure. And what I would say for those people, there is always repercussions. So again, it's that message of support and that we're, we're trying to, you know, give out and guide people to say, actually, you know, give yourself a bit of a break and remember what's important. And I, and I always raise an eyebrow with someone who says, you know, I wake up at six, I don't get back till 11 o'clock at night. I work every weekend. I'm like, well, you're doing something wrong, <laughs> I think. You know, with respect, you are doing something yeah. wrong because it, yeah, you're either going to have a heart attack or, or something or you're not delegating right to something. Again, there's this whole thing as in money, never, you, you, you're always working, working, working. Yeah, I'm always mindful of my business. I'm always thinking about my business. But I'm actually, there's times where, you know, I like to go home and bath my kids, you know, because it's a quality that I won't have exactly. forever. And you've got to think about yeah. it. So you try and install that to directors. And certainly when you go through debt and certainly when you go through stressful times, and like you say, we're at the bottom of that very vulnerable person type of uh, industry. Our job in a way is to say, you know, listen, re- let's get a plan. We're on the way up and, and remind them of certain things that are important. Um, and, you know, the, the sooner they can speak to us, the sooner, the easier job it is, basically. Exactly. I mean, in our previous discussion there, we talked about downtime and spending time with family or spending time away from the business. And obviously, that's one of the things I wanted to highlight on the cash flow show. I wanted to create a section where we talked about things other than business and a section that I've titled, what are you like? Yeah. And obviously... I give a pre-show questionnaire to everybody who comes on the show. And I don't know if you remembered what your answers are. Uh, no, probably not. Uh, don't worry. No, no, don't worry. That's great. I can help you because I've got my notes. Okay. And basically, you put down as your favourite book, Eddie Hearn, 12 Steps to Success. Yes. Is, why does that resonate with you? I've put it almost as my favourite business book because it's a bit of a difficult one because I don't necessarily read inverted commas your business book or your business mentor how to create a good business. I don't essentially buy into that. What I like about Eddie Hearn's book and for anyone who doesn't know, he's obviously the boxing promoter who's the son of Barry Hearn. Right. And what I like about it is it's not your average rags to riches. He's not just sort of found something. He was poor. He's he's got a product. He's gone out and made millions. It's actually very different. He overcame a lot of different challenges to build what was already a very good business into a global business. And I think sometimes that's harder to do because he's had to evolve what was already very a very good, sustainable business. And what Barry Hearn did was he was a promoter. He went into darts. He went into snooker. And obviously, boxing was his main source. And he was a very, very big name. Then, obviously, Eddie worked for him and was in his shadow for a very, very long time. And what Eddie did was sort of take it to the next step. And what I love about that is I think sometimes when the, he has come from a privileged background, he's the first to admit it. You know, he has not had to worry about making mortgage payments, but he's also had a different challenge under his dad's name. And, you know, you're not Barry Hearn's son. And that's, he's now known as Eddie Hearn in his own right for where he's taken, you know, matchroom boxing and to a different level. That book really resonates you know a lot of things with me because i think the challenges he's overcome are, uh, are formidable and sometimes in a way a little bit harder because sometimes they're a rags to riches story they've got nothing to lose you know it's like bang let's go out and and you know we we make it whereas eddie hearn you know in his book i think had a lot to lose and and his dad had a lot to lose if he got it wrong so yeah i, I like boxing the book's called relentless 12 rounds to success and yeah, I, I learned quite a bit out of it. And there's very few books that I'll sort of read and sort of change the way I am, uh, or, or certainly my outlook. It really sort of uh, hits hit a chord with me. That's interesting for me because it's harder to scale up a business than it is just to make a business successful. Yep. Because really, if, you know, if you're selling, if you start from nothing, you've got an oven and you're selling 12 cupcakes and you keep selling yeah, 12 yeah. cupcakes basically you've got a business it's you know not as exciting as other people would like but you've got a business however to sell that up until you're selling 12 cupcakes or 1200 cupcakes in 12 different stores the scaling up yeah. is why most businesses don't necessarily get to where they want to get to because it is hard to scale it is so hard 
correct. Every business plateaus. Going from 100 grand to a million is more difficult than going to not to 100 grand. You get to read the book. You know, he he's quite a humble guy because, you know, he started at school, you know, he, I said he was Barry Hearn's son. It's like you're born into this world, not his fault, you're born into this world. And the easiest thing he could have done was just, all right, I'll live off my dad and work for him. I'm very nice. But he didn't. And, and he, he t- that was his mm. risk. He, he went out on a limb. And again, to, to, to take, when you look sometimes at business, it's like you, you can't get that, you can't get better than that. And and his business was, and Barry Hearn's business was very, very sort of successful, you know, made a lot of money. But then to go to that next level, you've really got to have imagination, creativity and drive. And and again, I think that's a, uh, a real sort of quality that uh, few people have. Now let's move on to your music selection because you've picked Pink Floyd and Queen. You didn't pick any specific ones. Yep. Were, it, were there any specific albums or singles? I've put on my notes here that that's probably the hardest question you can ask anyone. What's your favourite album or song? Because like I said, <laughs> yeah, it's everyone, you know, there's so many, um, so different many moods and so many different music tastes. The reason I put Pink Floyd, and, and there was an album called Pulse, which came out, I think, I think I was about 17, 18 at the time, mid-90s or whatever it was. The reason why I put that is it's probably the only album to follow me all the way through my life to now. I could put that on today in a car or at home and, you know, enjoy it just as much as I did 30 years ago, for, you know, or, or, you know, 20 years ago. And there's not a lot of artists or, or, or albums that could do that. And Queen's another one, you know, sometimes you're in the mood, but if a Queen song comes on, I won't turn it off. Um, so that's that's why I put them because actually just to pick one is, is very very hard because you know there's so many but um, certainly Pink Floyd never never gets old for me or, or Queen. So now we go on to your favourite film box set or TV program. Yeah, and you've picked two very interesting one. Yeah, two very interesting ones. Uh, the first one you've picked is Succession. Yeah. Uh, drama tv series i think it's on its about third or fourth series now yeah it is yeah yeah vaguely mirroring the life of rupert murdoch and family allegedly just in case he tries to see yeah Uh, absolutely um (laughs) firstly i love brian cox as an actor he's he's the main uh he's the main actor It, it was so there's two there was two on this there was obviously succession is is one of them and the reason why for that is i just think it's so brilliantly done and what it shows is Again, the family in the series is obviously a media billionaires. Um, you know, all the sons are, are, are totally spoiled and, uh, you know, got nothing to worry about. Don't really out of touch with the common man, so to speak. But the problems they have and the, the issues they have in the family are almost like unbelievable. You know, and, it, and that just shows you that money can actually be, you know, as much as you have actually causes you more problems than when you don't. You know, there's a lot of, Times when you speak to people who are, you know, in the very commas millionaires and have made a load of money, their most happiest times was when they were starting out because everything was real. It's raw, your own journey. Whereas sometimes the bigger you get and the more successful, the harder the problems become because they're so much more complex. And what succession will show you is how money and ambition, so to speak, it's toxic because it really gets into the family and divides them. Yeah, it's it's not as depressing as that. It, it, it's very witty and very cleverly written. But yeah, it's a fascinating thing that, again, I hope they continue to make it. The other one that, that I'll quickly mention, which which has actually just come out, is Winning Times, um, The Rise of the LA Lakers, which was on Sky, either Sky or Netflix. Yes, great choice. And what I loved about that is, again, I like to be a bit different. And if someone said to me three months ago, right, make a TV program or make a show that's totally different, that is is different to anything out there, I'd be like, oh, well, everything's been done. And then comes this show, which is basically set around Magic Johnson and, uh, you know, that first season. It's funny. It's filmed like in the 70s. It's just mesmerising. And obviously it's cast so, so well. Again, it's one of those things that, as soon as I watched the first episode, I was like blown away. And I was like, how different is this? And when I find myself talking about it and speaking to my friends and recommending it, you know, it's had that impact. And I think, again, in a world where, you know, what's the next thing? And I just think it, it was it was fascinating. And yeah, I hope they make a second series, which I think they will. It's very interesting as a programme also, because 
it shows there there is a strong entrepreneurial element behind it. Yeah. And you, when you talked earlier, we spoke about how not having the right guidance and the right information can inhibit your business from growing. Yeah. And obviously in this, and I don't want to give any spoilers away, but there is a penny, a moment when the penny drops here. Yeah. And when that penny drops, it completely changes the way that the team and the business is looked at completely differently. Yeah. Whether it's for for monetary purpose or businesses business purposes, it's absolutely fascinating. And it shows that just as much as being able to have the idea, the guts to push something forward, the fact absolutely. is knowing the technical details and having those people on side. Yeah. The man who's obviously the lead character, the the owner is He's always one of these people that you meet in life. And no matter what you tell him, he's always got a smile and he's the most positive person in the world. And positivity really is infectious. You know, you, you, he was, you know, and certain things that, again, if, if your listeners watch it or or have watched it, you know, every blow he's given, he comes out and, it, and he turns it into a positive. And again, the very few people that you meet in life can do that. And I'm a big believer in positive thinking. And again, I'm in an industry that, you know, it's not easy conversations to have. More positive I can be, the better service, certainly the better way I'll make my directors feel. And winning time is one of those things that it's just his attitude to life is so refreshing, I think, and it's nice to see. Excellent. Well, Jonathan, we've had a really extensive chat and obviously we're coming to the end of our time here on the Cashflow Show. Yes. It's, it's been great having you on, but I wanted to try and see what would your advice be to people who are in a business, who feel that they're not coping as well as they should do? What would they need to do in order to progress, do you think? Take as much help as you can that is available around you and reach out. You know, I think I think when I go through my trust pilot reviews, which are really, really close to my heart because it, it's just an absolute reflection on what we do. You know, we are a free service. Um, we, you know, we're, we, we're modeled through different arms of the business, which, which we monetize, you know, through consultancy and through funding and stuff. But the actual core value of what we do, which is advice to directors and to guide them through, you know, whatever procedure is free and it always will be free. Where I get the biggest feedback is the reviews they give in terms of how they reached out. And that's like anything in life is probably the hardest thing to do. If you're feeling ill, it's, you know, males predominantly don't like going to the doctor. Indeed. You know, the sooner they do, we can help. And, and I think where my marketing people do a lot of, uh, you know, I'm heavily involved in our marketing because it's my message of what I'm giving out. They just put it together creativity um, in, in a creative way. But what I'm trying to sort of get out there is you're not alone. I hate people feeling like they're alone because it's a very lonely place as a director. And if I can portray that there's there's a little bit of support, whether it's, you know, a five minute chat, whether it's uh, how do I log on to company's house, whatever it might be, coupled with a platform that they don't even have to speak to us. They can go on and join a community then it helps them a little bit more to run that company. And and that's the, the sort of best, best advice I give any directors is look what is out there. It doesn't even have to be us. You know, there is other people that, that do roughly what we do, but not certainly to the scale that we do it. You don't get a medal for doing it all on your own. No. One of the sort of final things I'll leave with is I did a sort of exercise with, you know, our staff. People's always ask me, you know, what's your, been your biggest challenge? And it's like, well, our biggest challenge is probably creating our own marketplace and, and scaling it along with obviously trying to portray what I've done on my own for so long to to the people that work for me. But I think we did a, an exercise where we did our culture, you know, what's our values as, as, a, as a company. Um, and we narrowed it down to four. And it resonates so much with directors and the first one is be approachable. Um, you know, I've tried to, everything I've done in this business is to allow a director to reach out to me um, and not feel embarrassed, not feel, um, you know, sort of like a failure, is to be approachable, be the norm to reach out for help or advice from myself or, or our company. The second one is is to have obviously absolute integrity. You know, we are the most transparent. We've got no agenda. It, it, you know, we've got no, it's not, it's not selling. It's literally a portal for guidance to help you run your company and your business. The third one was uh, we are 100% director dedicated. Everything we do is for that director. It's around a director, their personal issues, whatever it might be, 
is 100% director focused. And the fourth thing, which is a big one for me, is add value. You know, when a director speaks to us in whatever capacity or goes onto the platform, the directorschoice.com, I want them to come away and feel that we've added value to them and we've helped them in whatever format, whether it's mental health, whether it's they found the right accountant, whether it's joining a community, we've added value that they didn't have before. So my message to sort of your listeners and people like that is certainly with the rise of social media, you, you don't have to pick up the phone. It's, it doesn't have to be a, an awkward conversation. If they're not comfortable with that, there's another platform that they can go through and be totally sort of anonymous. But obviously, like anything in life, the sooner you reach out and, you know, and allow us to help speak about it freely and, and not be embarrassed, the easier it is. And why should you be embarrassed of certainly something like a pandemic, which was not anyone's fault, that came up and surprised everybody, but has unfortunately put you in a difficult situation? Why should you be embarrassed about that? It's just That's just life. And I think if we can give one message is, is to, you know, use what's out there because don't try and do it on your own because it will cause more problems than it solves. We've talked about um, what people need to do. We need to then direct them to you. So what's the best way for them to contact you? What are your the socials or the email address or what that's the best way? Well, there's obviously Directors Helpline, which is our main core. It's www.thedirectorshelpline.org. We're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, if you just put in the Directors Helpline, you know, we will come up. The Director's Choice has a similar presence on social media, and that is www.thedirectorschoice.com. And again, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So what I've started to do, which you might see, is a lot more videos of me. I think sometimes, you know, it's easier to try and we're, we're going to do lives and, and sort of answer questions that directors have every day. I think it will become a lot more easier for directors to maybe understand certain situations they're in rather than trying to read it and understand it. Please give us a follow on that. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. One thing I would say to everybody is, is that this and all the other details that have been mentioned by Jonathan will be in the show notes. Jonathan, thank you very much for sharing this extended time. Thank you very much for having me on. Really appreciate it. And thank you for, for, for sharing that wisdom and that understanding with us, because obviously that there are a lot of people who are going to gain some positive thoughts and obviously progress their businesses in that way. Okay. So thank you very much again. And we're now going to play out with the outro. Thanks. Take care. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for Real People, Real Business, Real Talk.